Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, I literally just rolled out of bed. I just started sucking down some coffee. I'm groggy, but, uh, you know, it's, it is 9.30 in the morning. I should really be a little more alert than I am. Well, you know, I'm not a big morning person. So, I mean, I could be, I could stay in bed till like 11 o'clock. Oh, me too. <laughs> you know, it's, I honestly believe in like, so I work with uh, John Ireland on the radio. John Ireland sleeps like three hours a night. I'm like, how can you, I love sleep. Sleep is like one of my favorite parts. I I really think sleep for a healthy person should be one third of the day, at least one third of the day. Don't you think? Well, unless you're really depressed. One third of the day? Well, it's eight hours. Yeah, I guess you're right. Eight hours sleep. Like that's, that's not a crazy number, yeah, is it? It's, you know, no, it's not crazy. And they do say, whoever they are, that, um, that you should get at least seven, eight hours of sleep, that it's healthy to get that. Yeah. But I don't, I don't sleep as great as I used to. As I get older, I get up, I'll get up early. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll just lay in bed and then I'll go back to sleep. And then that's not good because then you know, I'll sleep for like two or three more hours. And then I'm even more tired. I don't want to compare you to my grandpa, Gene Santa Cruz in Altoona, Pennsylvania, the late great Gene, but he would get up earlier and earlier and earlier the older he got to the point where he was getting up at 4 a.m. every day. Yeah, it's it's kind of what happens. So why is that like a biological? It. It, It must be because everyone I talk to, like I remember talking to Tom's mom and she's like, just wait. (laughs) <laughs> it's coming that no sleep tsunami yeah. is coming so uh coming up on the show today we've got uh, vanessa rubio who's one of the stars of cobra kai you raced through cobra kai to get ready for this right so yeah i went on like a three-day bender so do you do you get the appeal do you get what uh, oh. what everybody's crazy about oh totally and especially if you were you know a huge fan back in the day you see i i really wasn't you kind of missed it. You're a little bit older than I am. And you right. kind of missed like that was when I was in high school mm-hmm. was like, I'm about the same age as uh, maybe a little bit older than Ralph Macchio. But when I was in high school, that was what I remember uh, was was those Karate Kid movies and how much fun they were. And the crane kick, you know, like the one leg up in the air and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff is awesome. And the thing I love is they bring back all the actual actors all grown up i know i mean it was so clever and all the flashback stuff i mean it it really is a fun kitschy um and heartwarming too i mean there's a lot of heart in there yeah there really is um so you know where i'm doing the show from today your studio (laughs) yeah it's a studio it's the garage uh, which has turned into a studio which used to be filled from floor to ceiling from one side to the other with stuff. I remember being in your house one day. I I think it was, I'm trying to think if I was, uh, maybe I was there when we were doing the podcast at your house. Yeah. 
And I asked to see your garage and you wouldn't let me go in there. Well, I was forbidden by Juan. Juan was so embarrassed. He said, don't show anybody our garage. Don't show any. Because it was, I mean, it was strewn with with just junk. And what'd you um, do with everything? Did you sell stuff or you throw you know, stuff out? We got a, uh, well, I, I went through and pulled out the sentimental stuff, right? And then there was sentimental stuff that uh, that I wanted to say. I, I've, I've got like old clippings and all that kind of stuff, stories that went back years, but we got a big dumpster and uh, we had it planted right behind our garage and just started dumping stuff into the dumpster. So I'd look at it. I'd be like, mm, am I ever going to look at this? Nah, dumpster, dumpster. And we filled that sucker up. I mean, we got rid of tons of stuff that I don't miss at all now. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even remember. Now, I've got sentimental stuff. Like, for example, I've got uh, tapes, cassette tapes of us doing the show <laughs> at 1027 WNEW in New York. Yeah, I have some of mine, too. I wonder what those sound like. Yeah. We should yeah, digitize only, some of that. We should. We should. I, I think I grabbed, like, maybe 20 of them. Um, Do you think the show is any good? Oh yeah, the show was so much fun. I thought it was a really good show. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. Fun. It was good. Yeah. The other thing is, I need room for my second set of clothes. I keep two sets of clothes. I keep, um, and I, I can't. I, you don't have this issue because you've what got you, no. Vegas? What do you mean? Were you a Vegas act? What do you <laughs> yeah. mean you have two sets of clothes? No, you've got you've got no way to. So I've got fat clothes and thin clothes. <laughs> oh, I see. Don't you? Do you have fat clothes and thin clothes? No. Oh, I literally, like my thin clothes are out here in the studio. My fat clothes are in the house because I'm uh, packing too much weight on right now. I'm very, very frustrated by the weight thing. It's not moving. I'm trying to do my best, but I'm not moving. I think you should get rid of the fat clothes and that would encourage you to just not be fat. No, what it would and do and is... And you'd have would, nothing to wear. You'd it, have would to cost me, it would cost me a lot of money to go out and buy new fat clothes, which I'm not going to do. I'm not doing... Now, you have no weight issues at all. You know, not really. I mean, you know, I'll gain, you know, a little bit of weight here and there, but, um, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty anal about, um, what I eat and, uh, and I work out and I don't eat, uh, yeah, it's not I, a thing for you. No, it, it just isn't. I mean, my metabolism has always been such that, um, I just don't put on a lot of weight, but, you know, I look at pictures of me from, I don't know, maybe five years ago. And even when we lived in New York and, um, I mean, I didn't never thought that I, you know, was fat. No, but but I, I I was definitely heavier. I'm I'm probably the thinnest now that I've been in a while. Yeah, see, in my family, it's always a battle. It's it's always been a battle for everybody in my family. It's it's a battle. It's like you got to do it every day. Watch what you eat and try to exercise and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's it's always been a battle for everybody. It sucks. It really does suck. So I wanted to ask you something before we get to Vanessa. Think, think this for a second, and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you an answer. So I read a lot. Do you read a lot? Mm-hmm. I do. So I'm wondering what the last book that you read was. Can you think what it was? Well, I'm actually reading The Sopranos uh, Woke Up This Morning right now. Well, you've been reading that for at least four or five months. No, I haven't. Yeah, no, that's like... No, I haven't. We got it, but I didn't read it as soon as we got it. Oh, I think you've been reading that all along. You, 
You've been reading that all along. <laughs> no, Don't I thought, lie. It's a long book. It is a really long book. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know it's so funny. Woke up this morning. I don't like waking up in the morning. Yeah, so right, right. <laughs> if I woke up earlier, maybe I would have finished it. Sooner. Yeah, that's the one by Mike Imper- Michael Imperioli. I'm Mike, I'm not close enough to him to call him Mike and, uh, and Steve Sharippa and Steve Sharippa. Yeah, which uh, we had Michael on the show, who was fantastic. We didn't. Mm. We haven't had Stephen uh, Steve on the show. Um, I'm reading a book right now called The Humans by Matt Haig, hmm. and it is fantastic. It is about a mathematician on earth who discovers this crazy mathematical theory and these, this alien race determines that the humans are not ready for it. Like it's too soon for them to have had this because it's going to go all haywire and out of control with time travel and all this stuff that this mathematical theory is going to be able to do. And so the, this alien race sends somebody uh, to earth in the body of this mathematician to destroy this theory. And in the process, and they look really down their noses at the human race, like this is such a primitive race and we don't understand what love is. You know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and this alien slowly discovers the beauty and what makes the human race unique and special. It is a really, really good movie oh, wow. uh, or good book. And it, they did turn it into a movie that's supposed to be coming out starring Richard Jenkins, who's like one of the really great oh, actors. God, I love him. He's such a so good guy. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know how it's going to work because so much of it is internal dialogue, but it's really, really good. And the one thing I noticed is when I'm selecting a book and you mentioned I mentioned how long uh, we got up this morning is, or what is it called? We got up this morning, get up this morning, woke up this morning, woke up this morning. It's probably a 500 page book. It is. I'm I'm guessing. Um, I will only read books that are less than 350 pages long. Like when I am selecting books, I will say "Mm, 400 page. No, not doing a 400 page book. War and Peace out. War and Peace out. Dostoevsky out, <laughs> all those guys done. Melville, no, I get it. I know it's like you just want to say to them, couldn't you like tell this story in in like two hundred pages less? I mean, yeah, really, two hundred page, like four hundred, five hundred page book, like Stephen King. Seriously, dude, those books are too long. I've never read a, never read a Stephen King because they're too long. Not all of them. Like, like I, I read a few of his books. His books are so good. Um, the Shining. But that's was, a long book. It, it wasn't 500 pages long. And it was so, it was so gripping. It's probably the only book that I ever read that scared me as much as the film. Oh, really? It really, really did. Like, I didn't like reading that book, Home Alone. It was just oh. so vivid. And, and it, oh, God, it was, it was really, really great. Oh, I just noticed Peter Bogdanovich has passed away. Oh, no. Peter Bogdanovich, who was, mm. now get this with Peter Bogdanovich, and God bless, what a career, what a life. Uh, we mentioned The Sopranos. He played. Oh, right. He played the, the, the therapist. The therapist, he play, therapist. He, the therapist, therapist, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I had a couple of PBS pilots that I did, and Peter Bogdanovich was a guest on both of them. 
And what they have in common is neither of them got, got picked up. <laughs> well, my favorite, my all-time favorite movie was Last Picture Show. Oh, Last Picture Show. So I'll tell the story that uh, Bogdanovich told me. He said that when they were doing Last Picture Show, that Cloris Leachman has got a big showy role in this thing. And uh, that she did one take of a scene. And she said, I need another take. And he says he told her, oh, you don't need another take. You just won the Oscar. Mm. And she said, no, please give me one more take. Nope, you just won the Oscar. We're moving on. And sure enough, she won the Oscar. Yeah. Also, a man who could rock an ascot. Yeah, right. He always had that ascot on. Yeah, I've, there was a, there was a series. Um, there's a, I'm trying to think. I think um, who's Menkovich? Um, ben Mankovich. Ben Mankovich. Yeah. Mankovich. Um, he had a has a great. I, I think he still has it. Um, it's a great interview series that uh, is a podcast. And he did a whole um, like eight episode interview with Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, he is so smart about the history of film. Absolutely. And his relationship with Orson Welles was really, really interesting. Yes. Because Orson Welles was the guy that he went to and talked to him about wanting to do Last Picture Show in black and white. But he said, it's not going to happen. The studio isn't going to let him, you know, do it. And he said, you tell them, (laughs) this is what Orson Welles said, you tell them that you want to do it in black and white, that it's the only way to be done. And he was like, I can't tell them that. And he says, do it. And he's the one who who talked him into um, doing it in black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and fighting for it. And it looks great in black and white. He said, you can't. He says, you can't do this movie any other way. Yeah. The other one that that holds up so well is What's Up, Doc. Oh, What's yeah. Up, Doc is such a funny movie. That's the one with Madeline Kahn, who is just ridiculously funny mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, and uh, was yeah, it Ryan, o- Ryan O'Neill, Ryan O'Neill, and, and Barbara, Barbara Streisand. Streisand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was really good. So, uh, God bless him, hell fellow, well met. All right, our guest today is one of the stars of the hottest show on TV. Cobra Kai on Netflix. It's at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. She plays Carmen Diaz, who is Miguel's mom and Johnny Lawrence's love interest. Vanessa Rubio joins us. Vanessa, thank you so much for doing this. It's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Steve. Thank you so much for inviting me on. So I am a kid of the 80s. I grew up on uh, on Karate Kid and Ralph Macchio and the one-legged kick and taking out Johnny Lawrence in the All Valley and all those years ago. It's such a it's such an interesting phenomenon because with Cobra Kai, younger people are into it, and then guys my age, uh, we're, I'm 56. There's so so much nostalgia about the whole thing. Why do you think the show works so well? I think precisely because of that. That's like the glue that holds it together. And these guys who are true fans, you know, the, the three producers, they put it together like true fans do. So they took care of it. They took care of the story. And it's not ruined, you know, for the true fans like yourself and myself, you know, although I was a bit young growing up watching the movies. Um, but they just did it in a way and translated it into the younger generations that we can all watch it and get something from it. And also involving these characters from where they were, from those, you know, blocky sort of characters of the 80s, the high school bully and this and that. 
and evolving them into the present day. So, so, and with humor too. So, you know, everybody, everybody gets a little something. Yeah, you see, uh, it, it kind of, it eluded me because I'm a little, I'm older than Steve. So I obviously knew the movies, but I, I've never even seen them. <laughs> I hate to say, but I went on a bender for three days and watched the entire series. I watched every season. Oh, yeah. And what I loved, because, you know, obviously I knew about the movie. What I loved is exactly what you were saying, bringing back the characters and seeing them in present day. And I'm telling you, after watching four seasons, the only thing I can think of, I want to take karate lessons now. I know, me too. You and me both. I, I want to continue to, even though I don't think my character is going to do karate, I wish she would. But I want to continue to evolve this because it is kind of such an inner and outer evolution of inner strength. You know, it's, it's the inner and the outer and which way you choose. So, um, so yeah, I think we're all uh, trying to go for our greater selves and seeing these characters try to do it too. It's very relatable. Now, have you picked up any karate since you've been working on the show? I know you're not, you're not really in the karate scenes, but have you picked up anything? Right. I, I wish, I wish I was in a dojo and not just a dream, sexy dojo. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was like Carmen's one stunt coordination uh, experience thus far. Uh, I've picked up, you know, I took karate lessons when I was younger. I think that stuff just stays in your body. Um, and I, I'm a pretty active person. I like to work out. Um, I think it kind of translates on the show, just more, I guess, coordination on my characters, not really too into the stunts. I don't, I don't have a stunt double, you know, one of the characters who doesn't, but, um, but the physical interactions and all that stuff is just like a feel it out sort of thing like a dance it very much is like a dance so what's it like being part of the because i'm telling you everybody i know is watching this thing and you know i do i do a radio show, show every day on espn and it's been a subject of conversation uh every single day since it came out on on new year's eve so what's it like being part of the literally the hottest show on tv it's wonderful and surreal and crazy and exciting you know this is the type of thing that uh you put it together before and then when it comes out as you you kind of re-experience it with the world uh so it's been lovely the love from the fans has been wonderful and so genuine that you know it's great all around there is an aspect of surreal to it uh, i was like exiting the supermarket the other day and somebody was like are you vanessa rubio and I was like, yes, <laughs> I don't think those interactions will ever get normal for me. I don't know if I'll ever handle it well and be like, yes, I am. I have the perfect response for you. Uh, no, it just always catches me off guard. So what was the audition process like for you with this? Um, was it uh, one and done? Was it callbacks? Was it, did you have to read with um with the Johnny Lawrence character, what, how did, how did that come down? You know, we, I think we were extraordinarily lucky with how it all came out. Um, there was no chemistry read with the Johnny Lawrence. Um, it was at the time I was living in New York and it was, um, 
think it was around September, September-ish. And there was a string of next day auditions that my agent had given me in that week. And this was the third of the next day. And I was exhausted by the end of the week. I was just like ready to toss these papers out and be like, oh, I don't get those anymore. And, uh, but I prepared it and, and uh, I read it with a friend. She kind of gave me some pointers. I felt like this character fit in to what I knew. Um, I went into my agency. I recorded it. And then I was walking around like 42nd Street near the, the near public library. And I got a call from my manager, I think it was. And she said, the producers loved it, but they want you to do it again with more humor. Hmm. So I had to turn around, <laughs> go right back up and record it again, which I did. And then I was just like, okay, well, they want it. They want it. And um, I found out pretty quickly that they were like, yeah, sure. You know, come, come on down and join us. And at the time that was when we were uh, with YouTube Red. So it was, it was all just kind of unexpected. I don't think um, any of us really had any big expectations about it or this is going to be a huge thing. I knew it was the Karate Kid related, um, but what it was going to be was completely unknown. So you play a smart and strong Latina mother and Carmen has got to do a balancing act, protecting her son, protecting Miguel and uh, and teaching him and raising him along with you know now uh, in season four developing a, a closer relationship with Johnny Lawrence uh, dating Johnny Lawrence who's played by William Zabka I mean it's there's a there's a balancing act right for for you as an actress yeah for sure um, it's a beautiful story I think you know as an actor you can tell any part of the human story and I think uh, it's I feel very lucky and fortunate that this is the part that this role is embodying. You know, it's, um, it's kind of a, I think of it as kind of like a blooming forward into life. She's trusting more and, um, you know, imagining more of a larger life for herself. I think where she started was more of a, okay, let's get everybody to this point. Let's survive. And then, you know, with Miguel opening up, their uh, social circle as well for the Diaz family. Uh, she's able to come into her own more and uh, learn these lessons with Johnny as well, because I feel like they teach each other in these subtle and really nice ways. So, you know, being that you are very, very smart and you have a son that you have to be protective of, um, the attraction to Johnny, um, he, he comes, he's a risk factor, <laughs> you know, he has that side oh, yeah. of him. It's like, Oh, you know, this could go sideways, you know, very, very quickly. You know, what is mm -hmm. it? What is it that, that, that makes you trust him? Um, I thought about this a lot for the character and I feel like it's one of those instances where, you know, you, it, it, dawns on her that she does have feelings for him and she's kind of in the at first in denial of those feelings um but it was really a joy to explore uh her navigation through it because you know at first she has strong feelings towards the whole situation who's this guy why is he you know teaching my son all this stuff and um i really love that first scene in the where they're together having dinner in season one where she invites him over you know, she doesn't want to, but she does. Mm -hmm. And um, she's like, all right, 
who are you? And then as she's discovering who he is, surprisingly, I think it surprises her the most <laughs> that she likes him. Um, and it's kind of one of those things where you're like, I don't know why I like you, but I do, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. I've had many of those. <laughs> yes. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Very relatable. Um, and I think they're both kind of fish out of water characters. They're both, um, don't fit into the world exactly right. I think she tries her best to, but inside, I think for them, they're kind of opposites on the outside, same on the inside. So I think my moment backstory for Carmen is kind of like, she has had to, she has, you know, a wild side and she has stuff going on, but she's had to grow up pretty quickly and take on a lot of responsibility very soon. So that's kind of put her in this mode. And I think Johnny's kind of wildness and his out of the boxness and his, his wild kind of act first, think later mm -hmm. is, is what attracts her. Um, he thinks with his heart. He acts with his heart. He has a good heart. That's what she sees. Um, all the other stuff, she's kind of like, you need help in the, in the outer, in the outer <laughs> shell of things. And right. I'll do my best to help you. So one of the things I read an interview, I think it might've been the Hollywood reporter or variety of, uh, you talked about representation in Hollywood and the way uh, Latino culture is portrayed in film and television. Sort of talk about that role that, and, and you've said there's, there's a burden that goes along with like, that's, that's an important part of, of this role for you. Yeah, there, there really is because I just, you know, I'm so careful about what lens we're looking through and I want to make sure as much as I can to, um, to, to create more perspectives of that lens of how we see these people of this Diaz family and, and Carmen in particular, you know, so I pay attention to things like how is she dressed? And I'm a little opinionated about it because I don't want it to be through the lens of what let's say white culture thinks of a Latino person dressing. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I, and I, I want to kind of shake that up a bit. Okay. She can dress like this in one scene, but how about she dresses another way? unexpected in another way, in another scene, just to shake things up. Because I think, uh, you know, and the evolution of this story as well from the eighties, from, you know, those nice cut and tied stereotypes that we were living in back then, they're unraveling now. So let's continue to unravel it and, and explore and ask these questions. So, um, so yeah, there is kind of um, an extra layer to, to my job in this instance. And when you presented that to wardrobe or whoever you present that to, I mean, <laughs> how did that go down? <laughs> um, it's an ongoing conversation. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm also learning too. You know, I'm learning to express these things and uh, they are things that are kind of new, right? So I just have to stand there and do my best. So how do you feel where are we now in terms of representation for Latinos in film and television? I mean, on the, on the surface for me, I mean, I, I watched 
In the Heights. Uh, and I thought In the Heights was a fantastic movie. And yeah. then there was criticism afterwards because the cast wasn't diverse enough. And saw West Side Story, which, uh, I I, seen that, yeah. which I loved. But it's gotten criticism for kind of stereotypical representation of Puerto Ricans in that era. How, how do you feel about those two movies? How, how are we doing in terms of representation for Latinos in, in Hollywood? Yeah, I know you know more about musicals than probably I do. <laughs> I was listening to a couple of you. Yeah, I'm kind of a Broadway okay. nerd. Yeah, I I absolutely love that. And I was listening to an episode where you mentioned uh, Jennifer Holliday's performance. Yeah, in, <laughs> in Dreamgirls, and I looked it up. I'd never seen it before. I saw it last night. Holy cow! Just have yeah. to thank you for that. Can you believe that, that was my first Broadway show? Oh. That's that's was that's the benchmark for Broadway for me. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a very high benchmark. I was blown away and I'm watching it on YouTube, you know, uh, what a, a tour de force, my goodness. Um, but yeah, I think we're far off in terms of your question. I think we're still far off. We're making progress. But when you look at the numbers, it's staggering, you know, where Latinos make up a large portion of the movie going public, of the paying public for entertainment. And yet, we're like 3.5% represented on screen. Mm, yeah. And of, of those 3.5%, it's only about like another half or so that are speaking roles. So ugh, it's, it's sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sucks, but I think we are making really good progress. We have fantastic Latina showrunners. Um, coming up with some fantastic shows. I think we just have to keep on going and and integrating the story into it. And I think I'm in a unique position because um, Cobra Kai is not a Latino show, you know, by any means. It's the whole cast is not Latino. Uh, a certain portion of it is, but which I think is a great power as well because you have an audience who wouldn't necessarily watch you know you don't have the same demographic of audience who's watching maybe one day at a time on netflix you know which i loved um but you have a wider audience so i think it's a pretty powerful thing yeah i mean it is it is such an important you know the diversity thing you know years ago i got a i, I produced tv and i got a gig um it was run you remember run's house I don't know if no. you remember that. It was no. it was a show. It was on VH1. It was Rev Run, you know, the rap guy. Anyway, um, he did a show and it was uh, based on his family pretty much. And, and his, you know, his real kids were in the family and all their friends were African-American. And the entire producing writing staff was white. Hmm. And I remember sitting in and, and it was crazy. They had a writer's room on a reality show, which is a whole nother tangent. But anyway... I remember sitting in that room and I was the head writer and we would throw out stories and they would look at us sometimes like we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't say that. And it was our interpretation you know, of what right. they would do. But I just thought how irresponsible for this company to not have black writers on this show. I don't know what they were thinking. Right. And that's kind of just your awareness of it now, looking back, is the evolution that we've come through, right? That's the, the one veil, one of the veils over our eyes that's been kind of lifted. 
uh, over what we've, we've been through in the past couple of years with, in terms of awareness. Uh, so yeah, you're right. It's kind of one of those things where you, you look around and you're like, wait a minute, this, this isn't even making sense. You know what I mean? Because I think we are at such a point of where we are becoming aware of our own unconscious bias. We all have it, all of us. And it's a thing of peeling back those layers uh, and becoming aware. And that's it. You know, it feels like nothing, but it's like a big deal, you know, oh. to, to realize that and to say, you know what? I don't have this perspective. I just don't. As much as I could try, I don't. And, yeah. and admitting that and allowing other perspectives to speak for themselves is a really powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually embarrassed being in the in in that room. <laughs> I really was, and and I, I know you know it. It just seemed like such an egregious um, omission. You know, it's like anyway, it, it was very very uncomfortable. And and as a writer, there have been times where I may have not been the person that they wanted on the job. Sometimes because of age, which is a whole nother story. Or oh, you didn't grow up in this part of town. And it's like. That to me is like, so what? <laughs> you know, that's not a cultural thing, really. So, you know, oh, so I didn't live in Pennsylvania, so I can't write about someone who lives in Pennsylvania. That's a whole different animal. But that is something that has always stuck out in my career is just a, a, a really disturbing aspect of show business to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are, uh, I, I, the success of season four. Um, and the fact that everybody's watching, obviously there's going to be a season five. Do you think about where your, where your character, where Carmen is going to wind up sort of in the, in the scheme of things moving forward? Oh yeah, of course. Every actor does, you know, we're always thinking and all these thoughts are happening. Uh, we actually have shot season five already. Oh, you Um, have shot season five already? Yeah. Wow. So did you yeah, they, do, did you shoot two at the same time? Yeah, they moved pretty quick this year. So, you know, we all said goodbye to each other at the end of season four, at the end of uh, this year, to, well, last year, 2021. And we're all like, oh, see you next year. We'll get together again, do it in 2022. And uh, they just called us back in the fall um, uh, earlier than anybody thought. So yeah. we did two seasons in one year. Yeah. Wow. Well, I um, I was excited to see the results of the All Valley. Uh, it's fun to see your relationship with uh, Carmen's relationship with Johnny uh, develop and her uh, raising Miguel. I mean, it's such a it's such a good story. It's such a it's such a good show. Um, the entire season of Cobra Kai is on Netflix. It's available right now. You can binge the first three seasons. It's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it, Vanessa. Thank you, Stephen. It was a pleasure talking to you. No, no. What I call Cobra Kai a guilty pleasure. It's kind of, you know what? I, I love John Kreese on that show because every line John Kreese says is like a snarky line that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger would say at Absolutely. the end of an action scene. Like my favorite line. Where else could this line even exist? Thank Cheyenne for the tofu. <laughs> Thank Cheyenne for the tofu. I just love that line. He's so evil. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, he really is. And then the new guy. The new guy is even Harry, worse. Even worse, that he guy. Is. He's like a step up from evil. They've got this diabolical, you know, kind of aspect to their their characters that you would see like in a Bond movie, <laughs> yeah. especially especially the new guy. Well, you know, the with other the thing ponytail. is I, I watched the uh, the All Valley and I'm like, they are kicking the snot out of each other. I mean, they are can are karate tournaments really that hardcore. Well, not only that, it's just like there should be a drinking game for every time the kids are around each other of when if they're <laughs> going to fight, if they're going to fight. Yeah. And I'm, I'm watching it with Tommy. It's like it's like karate high. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is so good. It is so good. Um, I meant to ask her. She was in a Dolly Parton movie and. You know, Betty White passed away over the holidays and God bless her. What an amazing life. And you know, all that. Do you think Dolly Parton is now the most beloved entertainment figure there is now that Betty White has passed on? She's right up there. Who doesn't love Dolly Parton? Oh, yeah. I mean, she transcends everything. Um, yeah, I, 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 that's a good one. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of who comes close to that. I don't know. I and then right. she had something to do with curing COVID. Did you read what? all that stuff? Curing COVID? Yeah, or coming up with the vaccine. She had something to do with it? Yeah, yeah. Dolly Parton had something to do with discovering the vaccine for COVID. Was she a scientist on her uh No, she gave she a bunch of money to uh, oh, one of oh. the companies. Oh, wow. Uh, let me see. I'm just Googling. Uh, Dolly Parton vaccine. Uh, Dolly Parton... Um, she helped fund uh, the uh, the vaccine through, it looks like, Moderna. Oh, that's what I got. Thank yeah. you, Dolly. Yeah, thanks, Dolly. <laughs> Makes her even more beloved. Oh, cool. All right. So, uh, actually, that reminds me. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but we got a minute here. So... Juan's stepdad is a scientist, chemist. And years ago, an ice cream company came to him and said, we want you to come up with a compound that will keep the ice cream, the top of the ice cream from freezing like it does when you keep it in the freezer too long. You know what I'm talking about? The ice, the layer of ice, right? Right. And so he went to work on this and he, he and his, you know, the, the other people he works with and they're trying, how do we get this ice cream not to freeze over and get rid of the protective ice as I think Albert Brooks called no, as uh, not it's Albert, Albert Brooks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Albert in, in mother. I, that's yeah, exactly mother. what I thought of with Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. With Debbie Reynolds, it's the protective ice <laughs> and didn't work. Couldn't do it. But later the compound got tested with HIV patients and they found out that it was effective as part of the early AIDS cocktail that HIV patients were using. And so he had a role in actually coming up with that compound. The, 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 uh, whatever they used to try to stop the protective ice wound up being effective in helping uh, HIV patients stay alive. So I always say he helped cure AIDS. 
Wow. So did, did he ever have any contact with Fauci? No. Well, you know what? He sort of is in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, because remember, that was part of the World Health Organization, infectious diseases, all that stuff. So, yeah, he I, I don't know if he directly with Fauci, but certainly has followed the story in a different way because he goes around. He speaks at conferences and all that kinds of stuff, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, helped help to cure AIDS. I love that when someone goes in like one direction that has nothing to do with anything ends up being a cure or, you know, it. it it, it just becomes something else that right. is like a whole, like a new invention. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which, yeah. Which happens, I guess, in, uh, in medicines and, uh, in science all the time. All right. So, uh, anyways, that was an offshoot, but I, interesting. So, uh, let's see, uh, Jacob Romani. So, uh, you know, here we are in 2022 and you hope you don't want to, get involved in any kind of accident or any kind of injury. But if it happens, if you get rear-ended or sideswiped on the road or you're on a bike, you get knocked off or a motorcycle accident or an Uber or Lyft accident, uh, there is one guy you want on your side, and that is Jacob Emrani. Great guy. Uh, by the way, uh, official sponsor of the Los Angeles Lakers, official sponsor of the LA Football Club, the LAFC. Um, he's a guy that you can talk to, you can relate to, because he likes sports just like the rest of us. Um, and he also has a team of people that will take over your case and handle it from beginning to end, dealing with your insurance company, dealing with their insurance company, uh, dealing with all the paperwork and getting you to a doctor really fast if that's uh, required for your case. And ultimately, he will get you the justice that you deserve. So remember, any kind of accident, any kind of injury, it's you, it's your wife, it's your kid, it's uh, somebody at work. You got to remember 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB. Or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Called Jacob and Ronnie. Called, called Jacob. Jacob. Yeah, baby. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> no dubbing here. No. No lip syncing here. Exactly. No, we nailed that. We nailed that. Hey, if you're listening right now, please, we got lots of good stuff coming up on the show. Uh, subscribe. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts or you're on Spotify, uh, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast. Uh, if you need a little extra help, you can go to stevemason.com and there's really clearly a button press subscribe for either um, either Spotify or Apple. Uh, we appreciate uh, any reviews, any ratings, all that stuff. Uh, Sue, glad you got into uh, Cobra Kai and, and figured out what all the magic is about. It's fun. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm aboard. All right. Uh, and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.